Welcome to the IME Community Podcast, where self-love is your superpower to achieve your weight and life goals and make your mark in the world. Your host is Dr. Carla, activist MD. If you're a teen who's looking to revolutionize your health and can't wait to follow your dreams, welcome to the IME Community. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy that I have the, who I feel like is a, literally a celebrity, Brandon McDermott, who is very well-known, uh, award-winning author of his memoir, Abandoned Brandon, and also an award-winning broadcast journalist um, here in Nebraska, getting ready for a new venture and that he'll tell us all about. And um, also a lot of other amazing things, like he's a TikTok phenom. He just hit 1 million followers this week, so that's pretty cool. We'll talk about that too. And I thought it would be amazing. I wanted to have, um, as soon as I started IME Community and started a podcast and YouTube channel, I really, I've been a fan um, and so inspired and in awe of Brandon and his courage to share his story and what he's gone through. And I really wanted to have him on as one of my guests. And then I hurried up and asked him to be a guest because he's soon moving and starting a new venture. Like I said, well, he'll tell us about. So first of all, we're gonna talk about, um, well, Brandon, I wanna just welcome you and, and add in whatever I've missed because I'm sure there's a huge act, a huge list of accolades. Oh no, that you did a you did a great job, uh, Carla. I appreciate the opportunity to sit here and to to discuss with discuss with you and your listeners um, and viewers um, my story, my book, um, uh, what I do, uh, and the fun I have uh, in the career I've got. Um, you covered it all uh, very nicely, and uh, again, I appreciate the opportunity. Oh, awesome. Well, we have a lot of things that align here because first of all, like I love music so much and I created IME community as kind of like a vibe of a community radio station. And I try to infuse music into everything we do, which is fun. And then you mentioned fun, which your lunchbox reviews, which I'll ask you about those too on TikTok. Those are hilarious. I was laughing so hard the other day going through them, showing, showing my whole family, all these amazing things and made me hungry. But anyway, um, we have, uh, uh, I did a podcast, uh, YouTube on make it fun to get it done. That's one of the things that we do because there's lots of things we have to do. So I'm going to ask you like what you do to make it fun to get it done, which I think uh, we know obviously just by watching on TikTok and listening to the radio, but you can give us some tips there. So I want to tell everyone that, um, Brandon is going to be sharing, um, his story um, from his memoir, Abandoned Brandon. And first of all, can you tell us that as we start this um, podcast where they can get the book on Amazon? You can buy Abandoned Brandon um, on Amazon. Uh, paperback, I believe, is $12.99. The digital copy is only $4.99. Uh, it's very affordable. If you've got, uh, goodness, Kindle Unlimited, it's uh, free. And uh, if, if you want an autographed copy, you can get it on my website at brandonjmcdermott.com. But the best bet is Amazon. Okay. 
And I'm just going to read for everyone out of the forward because I think this is helpful and this will kind of let you know what he's going to be sharing. And so that if you have um, maybe a history of trauma or something difficult you're going through, so that you're just aware as a warning that that's, these are the kinds of things we're gonna be talking about. And it says, it's not an easy story to tell and it's not an easy story to read. If you're seeking comfort in Brandon's story, you may not find it easily. You will have to be brave. If you are looking for inspiration, you may not find it here without effort. You will have to bring your own faith to the journey. And the foreword ends with this, which I thought was just so profound. I wish you love and peace in your own story. Read on and be kind along the way. Kind to yourself as you share in some hard and difficult events and kind to the kid who's sharing them. So I think as you're sharing your story, I know that with, um, with trauma, it can be really tough to go through it again. So we're holding space for whatever you want to share and also so um, inspired by your, your courage to share your story. And I know you've helped so many people and I want to hear about that, um, that too. So definitely. Well, I will, I will just say, I asked Otis 12 to write the foreword, Otis 12, the Omaha radio legend, who is my men, my mentor. And I grew up listening to, and obviously got to work with. And I don't know if I should have asked him to write that because he wrote it so darn good that I, <laughs> my writing couldn't live up to it. And so, yeah, I maybe should have had him write the book itself, but no, he, you're right. But uh, you know, my story's uh it's a wild one and it's uh, it's different than many people, but there are a lot of similarities to a lot of folks that, uh, uh, in Omaha, in Nebraska, around the region, and around the world, and I've really come to come to know that that um, as different as our stories are, there are people who find something they can pick a piece from the story that they connect to, whether it's the realness of it, whether it's some specifics of some of the stories, um, or, or or whatnot, um, whether it is the honestness and the and the realness of it that they connect to because they finally find somebody who is unashamed and unafraid and okay with um, opening up and, and being honest with what happened to them and who they are and coping with it and dealing with it and, and learning to understand it's um, it, what happens to us doesn't ever go away, but we, I hate the term we learn to live with it, but we learn to, we learn not to be afraid of who we are and ashamed of who we are. And that part of me, like I always tell everybody that, that little Brandon, like Otis said in the foreword, that little boy is still in here and he always will be. Um, but that's okay. And, uh, but no, I'm so amazed by how many people are, are touched by this story from all around the world. And through my TikTok platform, um, I've been, I reached people in India and Saudi Arabia and Lebanon and uh, Australia and Austria and Sweden, all over the British Isles and Ireland. And so, um, and all points in between Canada and all over the United States. So, um, I wrote this story to heal myself and um, like many stories like this at the beginning, you may sense some anger, but by the end of it, there's true healing and um, is almost a, a double, a double healing and knowing that other people find healing through the book as well that I've heard. And um, which means everything to me because I wanted to help other people. And I know this book is doing that. And what, 
It, it's so amazing. I mean, it's incredible. And I've been so blessed to be able to just be a Facebook friend of yours and be able to read some of the um, profound, it's just some of the profound impact that you have had um, just from your courage to share the story. What can you share? I mean, you were born into less than ideal circumstances, um, had a really tough um, growing up and witnessed um, a lot of trauma. And then we're in, you were in the foster care system. And then also, you know, it was really tough for you as you got out of high school and you didn't have, you know, even parents who could fill out the forms to get you into college. And um, so can you share a little bit more about your actual story and when, how you decided and when you decided to write your memoir? Of course. So uh, the brief synopsis is I was born in, uh, into a very dysfunctional family. Uh, my mother was a drug addict and my father was abusive um, in every way you can imagine to my sisters, my mother and myself. Um, I grew up in and out of foster care because of the abuse. Um, we grew up very poor. And uh, my father um, coincidentally uh, killed his girlfriend in front of me when I was 13 years old and uh, made me lie to the police about it and said if I would have told the truth, he was going to tear me up into a thousand pieces and nobody would find me. Mm -hmm. And so um, I had a tough childhood, you know, and uh, grew up with a chip on my shoulder. And uh, throughout high school, I think, I think it took me a very long time to grow up. And, 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 and that is in itself, we could talk for many hours about, but I think part of that was, I compared myself to so many of my friends as a youngster. Why does Jimmy's dad like him? Why does, you know, Sarah's mom and dad, why are they still married? Why do they, why do their, why do they get to go on vacations and have running water? And, <laughs> you know, why do they um, have dinner every night as a family? And, and uh, why are they going to college? You know, why do they get to go to Boy Scouts and play on the football team? And I had to understand that it wasn't uh, their fault because their parents did what every parent wants to do, generally speaking, and that is to give their most to their, their children. And um, so I had to get over what I thought was the world had owed me and what I thought um, was this big disservice, which it certainly is. And many kids go through the same thing if they're born into poverty or born into whatever situation. And as I grew out through my grew up through my twenties, um, kind of had to deal with the same kind of chip on my shoulder of seeing these friends that I grew up with graduate college at 23 and 24 years old. Whereas I wasn't able to go to college because my father was in prison and my mother never filed her taxes. And in Nebraska, you had to have to file for FAFSA. You had to have your parents' W two forms. Well, those didn't exist for me. And so um, I was one of the kids who fell through the crack, and uh, it was just. Uh, unfortunate, but that's what happened. And I had terrible grades in high school. So that was part of part of part of it was on me. Um, so I worked full time out of um, out of high school 18 to 25. And um, quit a full time job at 25 to get into radio because I got the bite to get back into radio again and worked my way up from uh, unpaid intern to news director, basically put myself through college at 20. Oh, goodness. 27 started college and finally graduated last May. Uh, but it took me a very long time. I know this is a long answer, but it took me a very long time to uh, get to the point where I was no longer angry at my friends or the world or my parents or myself 
for what had happened to me because I realized that while I certainly had some things that, uh, while I certainly didn't have some things that everybody else seemingly had, um, I was given something that a lot of people don't have, and that is real life um, garbage to deal with, for lack of a better term, that really gives you uh, true perspective and true understanding and wisdom from a very young age. And so um, I, I'm able to deal with life's curveballs, so to speak, and uh, a lot better than a lot of the other kids who I grew up with who, you know, had great parents and was, were able to go to college at a young age and and do the things you're supposed to do or society tells you to do when you're supposed to do them and not like me graduate college at 34 which there's nothing wrong with that but um from a young age i i had a lot of um resentment and uh was very bitter towards the world and i had to get over that because nobody else was going to get over for me i could either deal with with being angry at the world and yelling at the clouds or i could try to make the most of the situation Wow, that's so profound. So when you, um, how did you decide to write Abandon Brandon? I apologize, you asked me that and I didn't no. touch on got to gabbing on. Um, so, you know, I've always, every time I tell my story to people who, who don't know me, they say, man, you got a book there, or they did. And, you know, people who did know me were like, you know, you got a book there. My, my one of my cousins, um, he said, you know, you, he, everybody says to you, you know, you, you should have been a, a, a statistic, but you, you didn't become one. And he says, no, Brandon, you were the statistic, but you're the good side of that statistic. And so, you know, even the people who know me uh, know there's a story to tell. And um, it was just getting to the point of, oh my goodness, I've got so much to tell. How do I put it into 60,000 words? Because I, I edited that book from about 150,000 words down to about 58,500, give or take. And uh, there's definitely another book there somewhere. But um, but what do I tell and how do I tell it? And how do I make this interesting? And how do I give depth to characters that you really have to just live with and see to understand the true depravity and the true uh, uh, pain? And, and, and uh, yeah, I, so it, it was really just get down to it, write an outline and put pen to paper. And I started the process. Oh goodness. I, I published the book in August of 2020 and I must've started the process about 18, 19 months before then. Um, and I was at a, a an NPR uh, morning edition host convention, which uh, morning edition is the morning show mm -hmm. and all member stations around the country have their own. Yes, indeed have their own uh, morning hosts. And here in Nebraska, I was the, the morning host for, uh, for NET, which I'm going to be leaving next, next Friday will be my last day. Oh, we're sorry to see you go. It's, it's uh, one of the best places to work in the state. It's a, definitely an institution to be sure. But um, uh, I was there and I was speaking with one of the national hosts who uh, I won't name, but they uh, basically, you know, I, uh, he was there as part of the convention to kind of talk to the other member hosts of, you know, here's how to interview people. Here's, you know, uh, here are some pointers, you know, kind of a thing. He was the, basically the guest of the convention. And I told him my story and he says, you need, first of all, he says, you need to get counseling. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's pretty novel. You know, I could have told you that, but uh, not that there's anything wrong with counseling by any means. And I've definitely sought it out. It's been helpful. But, uh, but he also said, you know, you have a book there and I think you need to put pen to paper. And uh, after that process, I kind of was like, okay, I need to. And so 
started writing the the book and as i write as i write at the very end it took me goodness i can't remember the numbers right off the top of my head but about eight months to write the first four chapters and then the last 16 to 18 came in about a month and a half six weeks something like that it was just a it was a whirlwind and so you wouldn't you'd be surprised by when you're opening up wounds of trauma and old memories how many more open up and doors that you didn't open you haven't opened for years that um, that are subsequently opened because um, you start pulling off the bandages but yeah so that's why I wrote the book and, and why I, I started the process and I knew as with graduating college and as with getting quitting a job and getting into radio this long journey doesn't happen overnight but if you put one foot in front of the other and you take that first step the journey is is the, the best and most rewarding and most painful part but also it you can't get to the end without starting that first step and once you start the first step it it all it all plays out and was the writing the book um i'm sure it was a mix of all the things but was it healing for you it was very healing um it was very very healing and i mean when i was that that first draft of the book as my editor told me is for you for me the writer and when you rewrite it, the second edit or the last edit or the final copy or the final edit is for the reader. And so there was a lot in that first edit that um, um, that was very real. And so most of it came through in, in the final copy, don't get me wrong, but um, there was a lot of it, especially in the, the first half of the first edit um, that you could sense real pain and real, um, anger and resentment and at the last half of the book i'm not sure if it comes out in the final copy i haven't actually read the final copy since i once i once i went like this with the project i haven't actually kind of looked back and sometimes people bring stories to me I'm like i didn't know i remember i put that back in the book i thought i took that out but but um there was true healing and i remember writing you know uh, one of the last chapters of the book about my father and my mother and one of the lines and hopefully i could share this you know i i, I said you know society tells us when we're when we're when we're mad at our parents or when we deal with the anger with our parents that we should always, always remember that they're our parents and that we still need to love them and still need to care for them. And I don't, I don't buy that, but um, for many reasons, but, yeah. um, but I, I said, you know, I, when my parents pass, I'm not going to grieve because I've grieved for them for so long that the grieving is done. And it's not a, um, a hatred. It's not a, it's not a, uh, a mad and angry a why did you do this to me and trust me there were many nights and many days as a youngster of why did you do this what were you thinking but it's an indifference and i think that's truly the best thing that you can do and, and the best way you can feel towards somebody is not love them or hate them but be indifferent to them because then they don't live rent free in your head anymore and you've truly forgiven yourself and been okay with the, the pain that you're dealing with and subsequently forgiven them and not because they deserve your forgiveness but because they don't deserve your, your, your time. Yeah. And they, they don't have the power anymore at all. Right. And then you can move on with your life to take that first next step for yourself. So, and it's powerful and it's just validating like all of the anger and resentment and everything are just so well deserved in your life. Those are real true things to, I mean, of course you had every reason to. And so to feel all of that. And how did you, how was it received 
Um, were you surprised? Um, was there any negativity or were you concerned about um, or scared? Um, have any fears about sharing your story, getting it out there? The only, I wouldn't call it a fear, but the only um, trepidation I felt at, at all during the process was, uh, what is my family going to think? And it wasn't about what society was going to think or what how, who people who know me or work with me or my friends were going to think. Um, but it was, how are they going to respond? How are they going to uh, deal with it? And I was able to see quite, <laughs> in a quite real way, how they were able to deal with it. Um, in many ways, my father tried to reach out to me. And I think he's created now 10 to 12 different Facebook accounts to try to reach out to me. And he's tried to reach out to me through uh, proxies and um, in fact, I don't know if you remember, I was, um, I was on, uh, KETV did a story on me when I graduated college, uh, back in May and he sent me a scathing letter and, uh, I read it, but it was like, oh goodness. It was like reading a chapter from a book I wasn't a part of. It was like reading a letter to somebody who wasn't me because there was no anger. There was no string tied there that pulled me down to his level. And I was able to read the message. I didn't need to, but I wanted to see what he had to say and, and read the message. And, and it went quickly from congratulations, you've graduated college to here's why you're garbage and why you're a failure and all this other stuff. And, uh, going through life as I have and being the first in my family to graduate high school and college and to own the home and to, to be a, an accomplished author, to publish a book, to uh, win national and regional awards for broadcasting and for, for newscasts and for, for radio and to MC big events in Omaha and to do play by play and public address announcing for division one and, and various other colleges and high schools. I'm not a failure <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. I'm and a great father and husband. I should add those in the order as well. I'm not a failure. And, um, and oh, if I could also just add, I think one of the, one of the things that, um, that I will say about uh, my father and my mother and who I am as a person, who I've, I've come to, to be is um, I, I've learned to use my accomplishments as a, to show the world what I'm not. Uh, so, you know, everything that my father did, if you read the book and yeah. my mother did. Mm -hmm. And so um, I had a conversation with my therapist one time who said, Brandon, you're, you're not egotistical. An egotist shows the world, tries to show the world, look how great I am. But what you do is you try to show the world how terrible you're not. Like, look at the past, look behind me, look what, look what happened. I'm not that. And that's what I've, and I, it was a very profound moment for me. And I had definitely had an epiphany, but um, to realize that, you know, that's why I push forward to do great things is to, um, to show the world that I'm not my father and not my mother. And, and in, in essence, I mean, that's, that's, that's great, but also, um, an offshoot of that is it helps other people because then they're like, Hey man, I know Brandon, he's not that talented. If that guy can do it, then I can. <laughs> and no. so, I mean, you know, a, a, a little bit of self-deprecation there and obviously joking, but, uh, but you know what I mean? If, if, if Brandon can do it and I remember him in high school, if Brandon can do this, then man, what am I doing with my life? And so um, I, I like to think that I'm helping other people too, not just with my book, but also with, 
uh, living out um, my life. Yeah, because, you know, you could have, you know, with everything you have gone through, you could have easily said, forget it, you know, like just said, I'm not going to push myself and nobody would have judged you and everyone would have understood. But you're an example of how you can own your own yourself and your individuality and and the power of the individual. And so I have to tell you, like as a pediatrician and someone who grew up, like my mom was a single parent and just grew up with child neglect. I didn't go through the extent of trauma that you went through. Um, but it, you know, just when I started to read the book, like I had to put it down, like I made my husband read it. I was just, my whole heart was with you. I mean, this whole time I was reading it, I just wish I could have changed up your story and I wish I could have just helped you. And um, anyway, I just went to offer that to you and uh, makes me tear up a little bit, but um, just so profoundly sad that you, you had to go through that and your siblings. Um, now my husband read it and then I decided, you know what, I'm reading this because um, if he has the courage to have lived through it and he's moving forward and he had the courage to write it, then I can have the courage to read it. And, um, so, so that's how I, you know, I, I loved the part that I loved about it. The most is your grandpa. And I had a, um, I had a grandma like that in my life. And there's so much research around if you have, if you have an attachment with a loving caregiver, it doesn't matter who it is, that that builds, that's a resilience builder for a child. And um, I think reading this and how you wrote about your grandpa is just amazing. And I'd love for you to share a little bit about him. Oh, he's great. And uh, first of all, I just want to say thank you for your kind words. And um, I think I, I wrote it in such a real way because it is what it is. But also, I think for people who know me, like I can't tell you how many people came up to me and said, I had no idea. I had no idea. I've had bosses tell me that. And so um, I, I would not be here if all that stuff didn't happen. I wouldn't be the person I am today without all of that. And so looking back, I wouldn't change an iota of it because um, I'm so blessed beyond measure, as you can see with the feline. Yes, here. oh my goodness. I love cats. We have yeah. a kitty. <laughs> I go TikTok live here every night and this is his, his shtick. He comes here and he jumps up and he makes me say hello to the to the, to the group for him. So. But, um, but my grandfather was, uh, was a great man. And that was the toughest part about writing the book was how, not how do I show how terrible my father is because I don't have to spell it out and say, hey, Here's what happened. Look how bad he is. All I have to do is say what happened. And you are a, are a reader as the reader can, you know, pull from that as you, as you will wish. But with my grandfather, I had such a tough time trying to put onto paper how true, not only how great he was, but how much he meant to me. And I think part of that, to your point, I think you're completely right. It doesn't matter who it is that, that, that uh, as a caregiver can make that connection and grow that resiliency within you. But, um, I, I felt did. that I really felt that in your book. I mean, I felt that even if you feel like, oh, you struggled to get the words down about your grandpa, like I totally felt that about him. I, I just felt that love that you had for him and that he had for you. And that it was like a unconditional love. And sometimes like, I feel like with my grandma, I'm like, was she even real? Well, so, you know, it's like, 
it's it's so amazing and um so i'm glad that i'm glad that you had your grandpa and to that point i think i think that's the point i was going to make i had a little bit of a, a brain spurt there but uh it, he died when i was 13 what was i 14 no, i was 14 i apologize he died when i was 14 years old and so he was a little bit um he's a little bit of this bronze statue a little bit because he he did no wrong in my life you mm -hmm. know there were times where i messed up and he, you know Brandon, what are you doing? But, uh, but he, I, he was, I, in my 14 year old brain, he's this perfect person, right? Come on, buddy. got to get away. And, um, I think when he passed, I think that's what really pushed me also to, to do was to focus on the relationship I had with my grandmother. And that's why I was so close with her until she passed when I was about 20, I was 20 years old. And so, um, but my grandfather, he was the strong paternal figure I needed. Yeah. And he was, he was the rock that I needed. And this is the person I look up to and to this day, hear his voice and uh, see him when I dream. And as I do, when I'm writing a news story, hear my news directors in my ear, Brandon, what are you thinking about this in life? I hear my grandfather in that similar, similar way, not, not hearing voices in my head, but, but definitely in my, in my, uh, my subconscious definitely he's there and that's where i think when we say when somebody passes that impact they had on you is always with you they he is mm -hmm. and as mr rogers you know says find your helpers you know that's so important to have you know he was one of the helpers in your life and it's funny you bring up mr rogers because i watched that movie with tom hanks when i was writing the book about the last chapter about my father Mm -hmm. And I cried like a baby. Uh, yeah. When he was talking to that boy about forgiveness, mm -hmm. and about praying for your enemies, and how healing that is, because you're praying for the people you don't care about. And I don't care what you believe religiously or anybody watching this does, but mm -hmm. but that you are letting go of. There's a, a good album I used to listen to when I was a kid by a band called Postal Service. And it was called Give Up. And on the front of this album cover is, and it's electronic music. If you don't like it, you're not gonna like it. But on the front of this cover, there's this gentleman who is in his, in his, um, he's a he's a, a marrying his bride, and he's in his tuxedo, and he's on this ship, and his bride is in her, her wedding gown, and she is about forty or fifty feet off the ship on the water, just not like not in the water, but just like standing on the water. And the title is Give Up. And I've always looked at that album cover and thought to myself, well, here's a guy who's got no control over what's going on. Mm -hmm. And all he can do in this situation is give up. He's not the captain of the ship. Mm -hmm. And his entire life is 50 yards or feet away from where anything that he can do. He can jump over the edge of the ship and try to save her but he's not going to save her or himself. Um, and there was just a little bit of metaphor there that's always struck me. When it comes to pain, you have to let it go. You have mm -hmm. to give it up. And the Mr. Rogers book really taught me that. And, it, and it, it's always been brought home whenever I think about giving, or giving up the pain and letting go of, of what my father and mother did to me and um, being okay with, with what's happened and learning to cope with it. It's it's hard to explain to put words into, but it's just a, I mean, there's nothing more cathartic than 
writing a book, but even more so forgiveness, dealing with all the pain that I've dealt with for many, many years. And in 18 months through writing it and putting it to paper and literally dealing with it, been able to be okay. And through, through therapy, um, my therapist said to me, you know, one day you're going to, you're going to come in here and you're not going to be angry anymore. You're, you're going, you understand like what's going to happen is you're going to hit a time where it's this pain isn't going to be pain for you anymore. And she said to me, I know this pain has brought you to who you are today. Come on, buddy. He's trying to bite my cords, who you are today. And it's been the fuel as I've spelled out in the book that kept me going and that pushed me and made me stronger. But one day that's going to be gone and it's going to be okay that it is, yeah. mm -hmm. but I'll have to find another fuel and, and a positive fuel and not, not fuel from negativity because look around my life. There is no negativity anymore. Yeah. You, you know? created and a so, beautiful life for yourself. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. again, I, I, you, you ask a question, I'll, I'll gab on as much as it's you want. Great. It's great. I love it. And so tell us um, a little bit more about you were in the foster care system. Um, system. Mm -hmm. And um, I know that it was really tough. Um, and I think that there are, I mean, there may even be teens who are listening who are a part of the foster care system now. Do you have any um, words of inspiration or, I mean, what would you tell a teen who's going through some of the things that you went through? Well, I will definitely say I had, I felt both ends of the, the spectrum when it comes to the foster care system, both good and bad. And when I was seven years old, I went in and met the most perfect woman, mother, who I call mom now, um, that showed me everything that I, I didn't have before. And I didn't know how to accept love or receive love. And so I kind of pushed back on it. But I would say to kids listening in, the situation you're in may not be perfect. And those people may not be your what you know as your parent. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. They're not going to ever be your parent. But what they are and what they can be is is a shoulder to cry on, uh, somebody to love you, somebody to love you for who you are, not for what you can do or what you what you uh, could potentially be, but what you are, and can be a support system that you aren't getting and that you haven't gotten anywhere else. Um, and so that's what I would say to to kids listening in who um, who may be going through the foster care system. Don't be hard on your foster parents because they're only there to love you and. Um, there's certainly exceptions to the rule as my book is spelled out. You know, I had the other you know, deal dealt with the other end of that spectrum when it comes to a uh, terrible situation in the foster care world. But, um, but I think looking back on my own life and my own time in foster care, I was so hard on uh, my foster mother and my foster parent because of um, the anger I had for my own parents and my own situation and if I could go back, I would have, I would undo it. And that said, she loves me like a son. And I, in fact, I just emailed her and sent her a text with my, my baby's baptism pictures. And, and she's just had a knee replacement and we're, you know, conversing back and forth about what we're going to do when I move to, to the little small town in Iowa. And, and so um, I call her mom now uh, and she's, she's a great woman. So, you know, there's a lot that comes with being a foster child. We, and I spelled this out in the book too. We grow up with a chip on our shoulder because we're seen less than, mm -hmm. you know, there, I mean, even I remember being in, in, in school, like you didn't say, you didn't tell other kids you were in foster care because it was almost the equivalent of, of having the free and reduced lunch. You know, you were somebody, you were a somebody that's, you were a child, somebody tossed out. Mm 
nobody wanted you. That's the way I felt. And that's the way a lot of us felt um, as foster kids. And just to understand, it's not your fault what happened to you, whatever the situation is. Mm -hmm. And it's not the end. You are, you are a young kid, you are a teenager or a young child, and it's not the end for you. You know, this, as I spell in the book, we are judged, we, we, we are shaped by what happens to us and the, the situations that, uh, that occur in the circumstances that happen to us, but we are judged by the world, by what we do with it. And you have plenty of time to, to make, that, uh, make that work and to make whatever your future be what you want it to be. That's such amazing and inspiring advice. So tell me, um, tell us as you were moving from high school and you worked from 18 to 25, you said, so then how did you create your own? There's so, so much power in creating your own narrative identity, creating your own identity that you did on your own to create this beautiful life. So how did it happen that you got into radio and tell us all about that and then ended up going to college? And well, I was, uh, I worked at a, a place called DTN in Omaha and I was a, uh, a department manager and I worked in customer service. And I started in high school in, in radio broadcasting and television broadcasting classes, sophomore, junior, senior year, but didn't have the grades or the money or the, or the ability to go to college. And so that was not, was, it wasn't going to happen for me. And I interned at a radio station when I was younger, when I was in high school, and I ended up getting a job at DTN, full-time job from a part-time gig to a full-time gig. And the week I got a full-time gig, I was offered uh, the, the nighttime uh, hosting spot at, or a chance to get it by showing what I could do at Sweet 98 in Omaha. I was 18 years old, and I got offered the 12 to 6 spot um, at, at Q98 or Sweet 98, whichever you would want to call it. And obviously turned it down. I wasn't going to work for seven fifty an hour, where I had a full time job with benefits, et cetera, et cetera. So I got into the uh, into the um, uh, customer service biz. And at twenty five, I got burnt out. And um, I had started interning at KVNO in Omaha because a buddy of mine had said, "Hey, we got a spot open for a, a sports reporter. Why don't you come, you know, write for us?" Well, how am I going to do that? I got a full time job. He's like, "Well, you just come in on Fridays and you write one story." Coincidentally enough, I worked at DTN Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Saturday. Fridays I had off because I was the only person that came in on Saturdays to do the Saturday shift. So they gave me Fridays off. It was a nice little gig. And so um, I would go in on Friday mornings and I would contact the athletic department at UNO and I would say, hey, what coach or player do you have for me? Can I talk to them? Can I interview them? I want to turn it into a story for it's going to air on our afternoon newscast at four and five this afternoon. And I would turn a day turn sports story and pump that out. And uh, worked for free for three months. Um, about a month in, I quit my job at DTN. And uh, yeah, the conversation I remember to this day I had with my wife, Lindsay, I promise this is the right decision. Trust me. <laughs> I have a as, vision. As we sat in our one bedroom apartment <laughs> with her working at a bakery for like $10 an hour. And I was making $9.50 an hour for three hours a day and saying, we're going to make this work. And, um, and we did, but, um, but I luckily, um, a, a job opened up as a, a news anchor. I applied for it at, at KVNO, got the gig three hours a day, and uh, then eventually became sports reporter and news reporter and sat in as news director because nobody was in the spot. And I was basically the newsroom and decided uh, after being uh, uh, basically told and advised that, look, you're going to need to go to college if you want to get a 
if you want an actual uh, a job, a position in this in this field, especially in public media, and uh, they were right. And I went to back to college and worked at KBNO, but my junior year of high school, or excuse me, college, um, 2017, on a whim, I applied at NET and got an interview, had a phone interview, had an in-person interview, and got offered the job wow. as a junior in high school or college. And, um, and it worked out. Luckily that my professors allowed me to go the rest of that semester online, thank goodness. There were no in-person exams. They were all projects that needed to be done and I fulfilled all the projects. And uh, we became a part-time student after that. And it took me about a year, two, I guess, two and a half years to, to graduate after that. But um, it is, it, it just goes to show you, uh, and we had worked, KBNO had worked um, in tandem with NET. Um, uh, NET doesn't have full reach into Omaha. KBNO doesn't have reach outside of Omaha. And so NET shared news stories with KBNO. KBNO was able to have their overnight broadcast broadcast on NET. It was a nice situation. And so um, I also in there, I was able to share stories that I wrote for KBNO that NET perhaps wanted that had a Nebraska poll, not just an Omaha centric story. And cool. so the uh, news director at NET knew who I was. And it just goes to show you, it doesn't know who you, who you are. No, it, it comes down to who knows you and the <laughs> connections that you make. And uh, it just, it worked out and it, it was, it's been a whirlwind ever since. And uh, yeah, it's just been an amazing situation. Um, I've been very blessed by the, the bosses and the mentors. And as I spelled out in the book, by just de facto surrogate parents that I've had who yeah. served in the role who may not know that they had. Mm -hmm. Mentors, it's so powerful. My co my co I have a coach and she says, wise eyes, fresh eyes. And I think that's a cool way of thinking about it, like a mentor relationship, wise eyes, fresh eyes. Yep. So it's so super helpful. So and tell us about your new your new gig in Iowa. Well, um, I it it's the perfect fit. It's it's the perfect fit. It is uh, uh, KDSN in Denison, Iowa, a uh, okay. small town. There's, I think, officially between eight and nine thousand people that live there. But uh, according to school uh, census, the census of students, it, they predict it's closer to 12, maybe even 15. Um, it's a, you know, fairly large, uh, uh, you know, population up there and lots of, there's, um, it's a great community. I mean, I, I went up there and, and toured it with the, uh, with the news director or the, uh, the station manager and, um, great neighborhoods, great schools. And, uh, it just, as much as Lincoln, I lived in Omaha the first 30 years of my life, as much as Lincoln felt like home the moment I, I stepped, you know, footed here in, in Lincoln, and I've been here, you know, for football and basketball games, but just being here on a, on a Wednesday afternoon is a little different than a Saturday yeah. morning. Mm -hmm. As much as that felt like home, it felt like Denison was home. And um, great. the station's great. The people, the team is great. Um, I'll be being a morning, I'll be the morning host. And so it'll be a, it's a commercial station. There's music playing. and It's a small town radio station. And so it's, it's different than running a statewide radio network and a race a statewide radio uh, morning show. But um, I'll also be doing programming. I'll be the program director and uh, production manager. So wow. uh, there's, it's a, it's, there's a lot to it, but they, um, they made me a great offer and, uh, and it's, it's, it's a step forward and uh, it's going to be a great opportunity for me and my family. And we're just excited. That's wonderful. Congratulations. So cool. And so um, tell us how, how did TikTok, how did you become a, get million followers on TikTok? 
Well, I started TikTok similar to what you did here to make an impact. And um, I remember sitting in the studio at NET before my shift started and I made a 20 part piece. You know, I, I had noticed on TikTok, people were making, you know, you know, part one, part two, part three. And so, you know, part one of why I'm starting this. And I started talking about what had happened to me and everything else. And maybe 17 people saw all the videos. It was like, you know, the saddest thing you ever, I mean, it wasn't sad. The story was the story, as you know, you've read it, but it was just, uh, the production was terrible and everything else. And, um, my, uh, it took a while for me to, to, to gain followers, but I, my first video hit somebody had, I was recording a newscast and I recorded the newscast at NET and posted it on TikTok and, and somebody had posted in and says, I would rather, Oh goodness. They said, am I going to clean this up? Uh, I would rather slam my head against, uh, a, a Ford truck than to, have to listen to this again and it was a lot worse than than that but oh, wow. yeah i just got i just got my first troll on tiktok that means you did something that's a good yeah. step it's a good <laughs> sign you, you anybody can get you know positive feedback but when you yeah. get the negative ones that's good but um but no i did a, a bounce back and the great the greatest thing about tiktok is that you can respond to those people with a video which oh. is also i think people kind of get lost in that there's a there's an art to it and the bigger you get you shouldn't do that because then it gives the troll publicity and it gives them a platform that they don't deserve. But when I was, you know, 500 followers, I did this and I must have got 300,000 views on that video. And I basically said, uh, you know, oh goodness, it was something like at the end of the day, you know, you may not like listening to that, to it, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm here on the other side of this microphone and this is my job talking into a microphone for 56 minutes a day <laughs> for four. four and so, you know, I basically said that and, um, and everybody loved the video. I don't know what it was, but anyway, it, it, it hit off pretty well. And uh, I must have gained probably about 10,000 followers with that one video. And I was like, oh, whoa, okay. And started a discord and started a, a website and was thinking I was hot stuff. And, um, you know, I had a couple other videos that, that hit a little bit and I was at about 33K for uh, 33,000 followers for about a month or so. And then started doing reaction videos and just silly videos. The first one I did that that had a, a little bit of traction was, you know, there was a girl, a little four or five year old girl was riding in her uh, in her little motorized, uh, what do they call hot wheel car? I don't remember the heck they call those things, the big wheels or whatever. No, not a big wheel, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. And she ran her brother over and he was fine. He was fine. But mom came in like... Mom came in like superhero, pulled this girl out of the car, pulled the car off of the boy with one arm. And uh, I, and I basically had, you know, had a bounce back of like, look at, you know, super mom coming in here and, and saving the day. And people laughed at that. And so I was like, okay, I'll do re reaction videos. And so I started just reacting to silly videos and people falling down and hit, you know, hurting themselves or, you know, people making terrible food. And then I did, I did one video where, um, uh, this this person was making a lunchbox and I can't think it was for her for her husband or for her her, her child I don't remember and mm, I think it got like you know 150 200,000 views and it was just I didn't like it and I was like okay whatever and then one of the content creators that had and I had like 33,000 followers at the time who had like 500,000 was like hey I really like that review you did a lot of lunchbox you should do more of those I was like, hey, thanks. I appreciate you reaching out. You know, first time you've talked to me. Thank you. <laughs> you know what? I mean, I'll look at a more, a couple more of this person's. And then I did one and uh, 
11 million views on this one video, which- Oh they, my word. And they are hilarious. Thank you. They say uh, viral on TikTok. There's a level of viral videos. 100,000 is very, very low level viral. 500,000 is medium viral and a million's pretty fairly viral to, to TikTok. When you hit 10 million, it's multi-platform viral. It's beyond, wow. it hits other platforms. People share it on Twitter. People share it on, on, on Facebook. And it's not just that people are liking it and watching it. It's that they're sharing the videos. And the, that video, I must have had 20, 30,000 shares, mm -hmm. which means people are sending it to their friends. People are sending it in messages. They're sending it and sharing it on, fa on their Facebook pages and on their Twitter pages and on their Instagram pages. And That's great. And so, I mean, I must have had... I, I must have gained 90,000 followers two days in a row each day. And I went from about 100,000 to 700,000 in like 40 days. And then, you know, slowly it, it, it crept up and uh, was hitting about 100,000 every month. And um, just hit a million yesterday or two, a couple days, a few days ago. And oh, so cool. Never in a million years would I thought I had a million followers. Um, the, the, the videos I do are fun because I think they connect with people. Um, they're, they're humorous. They're short. And that's the thing with TikTok is, is you get 15 to 30 seconds to, to catch them. And what is one thing I have? Certainly that'll catch people. Certainly isn't my face. It's my voice. And, uh, and I, I, I kid, but, but, but honestly, it's, it's the voice that, that, that catches people. And when they see a reaction video, they're not looking at the person doing the reacting. They're looking at the, the product they're reacting to or whatever they're reacting to. Somebody falling through yeah. a wall, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. And so when they're looking at and they're hearing my voice, it's the perfect match. Somebody making a lunchbox, putting together some sushi and some guy with a radio voice talking really fast and telling the, uh, the lunchbox and, 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 and judging the lunchbox and then tying in humor in tiny little ways it's in that serious. 15 to 17 seconds. Yeah. And it just, it connects with people. And when it, when it connects with people, um, they want to see more of it. And I get messages all the time, do this box or, Hey, I made a lunchbox. We review this or, you know, and then I get messages all the time from people that are say, Hey, I was down and I didn't want to live another day. And your mm -hmm. videos made me smile and made me laugh. And yeah. thank you. And then I respond to them and they're like, you have no idea what it means to me that you responded. Like somebody cares about me. And it's like, heck yeah, I care about you. If you ever need anything, you know, let me know. And we'll, you know, I'm, so I'm here to, my, my DMS are open to the public. Um, I may not, you know, see every video you share with me, but if you, if you send me text, I read every message. And, uh, and so, but anyway, um, I get dozens of messages every night before I go to bed and I wake up to about a hundred every morning. And, wow. um, I do about four to six videos a day and people love them. And the thing that surprised me most about growing from 30,000 to 500,000 even mm -hmm. was I, I'm, I'm just some guy that's on the radio. I'm not famous by any means, right? But then I've, now. But I, but I learned to your point, you don't define if you're famous, other people do. Okay. And so like, I'm, I'm still brand, at, my wife tells me I still gotta take the trash out. You know, I still gotta clean the, the cat litter boxes. And you, have, you have a precious baby, Catherine, right? Right. How old does she know? Six months on, uh, on the sixth. You have diapers to change got diapers to change and diapers to take out. And so my life has not changed much, except uh, it's more time consuming with, with TikTok. And uh, I have, I have fun. We have a great community on discord and, and things like that. And I love doing what I do, but, but yeah, when somebody says, Oh man, you're famous. Or when, when you respond to a comment or a message and they're like, Oh man, somebody famous responded to me. 
and I'm like, don't put me in the same breath as these other people who are actually famous on TikTok. Uh, I'm just some guy and I have fun, but uh, that you feel special that it gave you the, uh, God, is it endorphins? Is it, uh, whatever the, whatever the, uh, the feel good, the chemical is serotonin, whatever it is, you know, if I was able to do that to you and give that to you as a quick boost and a quick rush to make you feel special, then I'm all for that. Well, and I think one of the things like for, for IME community, you know, I talked about and coach coach um, the teens to create community in 2021, like you can do an intentional community build. Like there's like, find your helpers. I'm teaching you to be your own helper. And then we create community. There may be some we want to let go, but you've created this amazing TikTok community. And I wrote a blog after watching um, on TikTok. There are a lot of TikTokers who go on and they are maybe going through their health journey or fitness journey or body positivity movement. And they get a lot of hate, unfortunately. And, and then sometimes what they do is they take the hateful post and then they put it at the top and then they defend themselves against it. And I'm trying to like, be like, you know, haters going to hate, I guess, whatever they're going to do, but just like to really try to let that go. Um, and, and move on, like, let them be wrong about you and let them be who they are. <laughs> so do you have any advice? Well, I would just say, you gotta, you gotta be that duck that lets the water fall off your tail. You know, you have to be to your point. I mean, we get maybe a hundred positive messages to that one, but do you, do you know which ones I'm responding to? I'm responding to the one just like they are. And, you know, I may not do video responses anymore. I may just do, you know, a single response, you know, like all I'll ever give them as well. Thank you for the engagement because, you know, your comment is just added to the engagement percentage to my video. And now more people yeah. are going to see it because of that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you just block the haters. I don't delete yeah. their comment or block them. I, I do not, uh, you know, connect and, and, and attach to the trolls. I think it, it does a negative thing to you, to your point. And I think also, um, it validates what the troll is trying to do, trying to get to you. And in the end, some people just want to see the world burn. And those people who are making those hateful comments clearly, clearly have something missing within themselves that they're to the point where they're putting down a stranger. And in some cases, uh, oh goodness, I'm trying to remember back to videos I've seen where, where this has happened. There was a, there was a, a woman whose, whose video is, she's a, a caretaker, a caregiver caregiver. And I think that's this, the term. And I, yeah. yeah. And uh, she takes care of this elderly gentleman and um, he's a white guy and she's an African-American woman. And they're terrible comments that you read in, in, in the comment section. And um, it, 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 I remember resp- I responded to one of those comments. It wasn't my video, but I responded. I was like, where do you have to be in your life that you've taken the time, not only to make the worst comment you could ever imagine, but think that it's going to give you something positive in your life or make you feel good for that moment. I truly feel sorry for you. And if you need help, my DMs are open. Please reach out to me. I would much rather, you know, have a conversation with you and have something positive happen than for you to feel any kind of boost that you're getting from all this negativity. Yeah. I had people jump in my, jump in my, here's, here's, here. some of the trolls you have to, you have to like give a nod to as well, because I had somebody jump in my, in my live once and said, you should rate a lunch bar or you should rate a gym. <laughs> and I was like, that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty yeah, good. My comment was, uh, my video, sorry to interrupt. My video was um, me dancing with myself. Cause I was like proud that it was doctor's day and I'm a doctor who like, and I love that song by Billy Idol. And it's like, 
I'm dancing with myself and doing my own thing, creating this community and it's unique. And so then my, my troll comment was Karen, no, go back to the Starbucks line, which I thought was funny, just yeah. like, <laughs> and I said, headed there now. Thanks for the reminder. So, yeah, I mean, and that's, that's the thing. It's like being in public and somebody cuts you off. If you're speeding up next to them and honking and flipping them the bird or whatever the case may be and yelling, you know, uh, obscenities at them, you validated them. And now they, they got to you and you made their day. And you're going to go away from that situation angry for the rest of the day, and they're going to be laughing. So when a troll does that to you, you have to, you have to, if you can, if you can be the person that, uh, what is the term? Uh, I think it starts with a D, um, disarms. If you can disarm the troll like you did, mm -hmm. you're, what your comment didn't get to me, you were right. In fact, I'm going to go to, I'm looking forward to the chai latte, the chai tea latte. I, I, I love <laughs> extra shot of espresso in mine, and I'm going to get it with extra whipped cream. In fact, I'm headed there now. I'm making a video out of it and making a joke out of it. That's where the best of, 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 of a, a, not attacking a troll, but, but hitting back at a troll and letting them know that they don't, you didn't get to them. I've seen so many videos where there are people on, on TikTok who aren't huge creators, but you can see clearly have confidence issues, which is okay. Mm -hmm. But they respond to every single um, negative comment and like all their videos and their content becomes responding to negativity, which then what breeds more negativity and breeds more people because now this person or other people who are watching this are know that this person responds to it. So I have a chance to have my video and my comment responded to. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to do it too. You, you can't do that because it's only going to drive you my, uh, mad. It's only going to drive you up the wall and you're only going to cause more stress and anxiety to yourself. And you just have to let that go. You have to, it's, it's tough. It's like, it's like being the reporter who writes his first story or how I felt when I wrote the first draft of my book and turned it in and thought it was this magnificent Pulitzer Prize winning, you know, and then getting it back covered in red ink and, and nice comments, but also, you know, you need to fix this, this, and this. And I'll tell you what I cook, took away from that when I first got it. It wasn't the, this is a good chapter. I love this part. You need to tie this into that. It was all the negative points. I took away all of that from it. And it took me about a couple of days to kind of just breathe and realize this editor is there to make it better for me. And so I think it's, it's similar to that when it comes to, to the trolls, you just have to learn to understand that maybe that troll is there to help you deal with um, some insecurities you have, or some things that you're already aware of the way that the world views you and being okay with it, being okay with dancing with yourself and yeah. not be, being mad that somebody is going to make fun of you and, and, call you a Karen or there's people on the app that I look like because I'm a white guy with a beard. And so they'll call me like Walmart fill in the blank. Like I'm the Walmart version of this person. And you just laugh at those comments because yeah. it's like, well, at Some least people are funny, you know, right. yeah. but, but to your point, you can't, uh, you can't let those, those people allow you to fester up inside because then you're going to go off message. And that's not why you've created the app or why you created the, whatever you created the platform you've tried to do to, to use to, um, have a way to journal your, your, um, your journey. And yeah. And that's the same. You're going to go off, like as an individual, you're going to go off out of your lane and, yeah. and deal with all the other people to try to fix and control everyone else when it's going to keep you out of the massive action moving forward and where you want to go to create the results you want to create. So, and if I could say one other thing, when it comes to TikTok, I think this pandemic has really, really a showed, uh, 
the dark side of not the dark side, but has really showed what we were missing in the connection with community, whether it's your churches or your, your um, youth sports teams or your, you know, uh, your your club sports or your club what you know your knitting club or your book club the things that you couldn't do sure zoom does a great thing and and this is fantastic meeting you but it's just not the same as in person right and that that human connection it just it adds to it and so but what 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 tiktok has done is it's filled that gap a little bit enough to where i'm friends now with people all over the world minnesota i've got a friend minnesota new york florida um, australia south africa and uh, California, Oklahoma, Virginia. And those are just people that are my moderators on Discord, right? Wow. All over the world that I'm friends with and that I wouldn't have been before that connected with me and my story. And they learned that story through my lives. My, my, what I do on TikTok are these funny videos that pull people in. And then when they get to my live, they realize, hey, this guy isn't like the other content creators. He actually reads the comments. He talks to us. He says our name and it makes me feel good. And if I have a question or if I have something that's going rough in my life, how many people have jumped in and said, hey, my mom just died or hey, my grandma's got Alzheimer's or my grandpa just got diagnosed with cancer or my dog just died or I broke my leg playing volleyball, whatever that people are going through, you're there to able, you're, you're there able to validate whatever the pain they're dealing with and realize that it's okay to go through that and that we're here. That's what being a journalist is about. That's why I got me. That's why I became a journalist. That's why I became a TikToker, because in the end, the human condition is about sharing pain. It's about sharing the pain because we're we're all a lot more similar than we are different. And um, I, I I think that's the one of the greatest things about TikTok is that it's allowed me to be silly because I'm a silly guy, mm -hmm. but then also on the back end when I'm doing lives to really connect with people, and that's what sells them. That's what. Uh, and I don't mean sells them because I'm not selling anything, but that's what really brings them back. People want compassionate connection, which is what, you know, like my vision statement is create community through compassionate connection. And that's like, however I can reach um, teens um, that need the help and the support and also want to have fun. So that's awesome. And where will they find you on TikTok? You can find me on TikTok at Brandon J. McDermott. And you can find me on social media. Um, at my website is brandonjmcdermott.com. Um, I've got all my social media accounts linked on that website. But at, on TikTok, it's Brandon J. McDermott. And it's and, this funny face, but it's yeah. animated. <laughs> yes, it's cool. And tell us, um, I love music and I create playlists for everything I do. Um, and I encourage the community to create their own playlists on different topics. And so tell us a little bit more about like the power of music. I know I read about it in your book and you're going to be taking over a big position with a community radio station that um, where you're gonna be playing like 70s, 80s, 90s music you said, or? So it's, it's, a, it's adult, uh, not adult contemporary, but it's adult uh, hits is what they call it, which okay. is actually even hits from today as well. But um, their catalog is very wide, I mean, very wide and it's got Brian Adams and Tom Petty and Boston mm -hmm and uh, Justin Bieber and The Weeknd. I mean, it's that eclectic. It's it's just, it's a small town radio station mm -hmm. which um, can do something like that. And it's the only station in, in, in Denison. They do get other frequencies in the town, but it's the only radio station in town. And so, you know, KDSN, Denison, it's, it's, a, it's a great place. And um, it, it's gonna be a great opportunity to be playing more of the music I love. And music is so close to my heart. Um, as you said, I wrote in the book, mm -hmm. um, it, 
saved me like it saves many people uh, through some very dark times um, from being a kid and listening to 80s glam metal to growing up and listening to alternative rock in high school. And, um, you know, it, even to this day, there's, there's music I listen to that, uh, uh, that just hits me different. And um, when I'm, when I'm, I'm not going to be a journalist for much longer, I guess another week, but when I'm writing a story or when I was actually writing a book, I would put my headphones in and I would just listen to music and write. And that's where the creativity came. And that's where, you know, you, you had to match the mood, so to speak. And like you said, playlists, it, it, your playlists have to match your mood. If you're working out, you're not going to listen to Jim Croce, right? You're not going to listen to, to a soft, uh, you know, to a soft songwriter type. You're going to listen to something that's a little more beat and bumping to, uh, to keep you going and to, and to get you, to get you motivated to, to run a mile or to, uh, you know, do that last set. And so, uh, music is very important to me and, um, it's, it's hard to put into words what music has meant to me, has done for me. And I think what it just means to us as a, as a people and how it just, it's so, you can listen to a song in any language and any, from any country and it, it transcends language right music is its own language and so he wants all the attention he is so sweet yes he he's a good boy but he's a little rascal he's his name's roscoe but he is a rascal but um you know i play guitar <laughs> too oh, I play, cool. and uh one of the reasons i started playing guitar is because it was very soothing it was very therapeutic for me and come on buddy and um you know i wanted to write lullabies and i wanted to noodle around and, and doodle and noodle and and that's it definitely allowed me to do that and um <laughs> he is he's such a monster um <laughs> a, a good monster but but yeah no music is 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 great and uh, it's had a huge impact on me that's great what are you listening to lately what's your or we do make it fun to get it done one part of it is um my daughter and i wrote this um challenge uh it's like an email challenge when you sign up for our email listserv and the second day is 10 steps uh, to make it fun to get it done from our friends at Dunder Mifflin. So we have these huge, these hilarious office GIFs and stuff like that. And the first step is to own it because if you have a project or like homework or whatever, and you think, oh, my parents are making me do this, my teacher is, and I hate this or whatever, you're never going to make it fun to get it done. But one of the things is like to pump yourself up, like, I don't know if you watch the office, but Dwight um was in like the back seat of the car before he and jim went into a sales meeting and he was like totally blasting out to and jamming out to some i can't remember what song it was and um so i encourage everybody to do that kind of like blast it out before you sit down to get your focus time in so is there a song that really pumps you up oh my goodness i just did a youtube video of the 10 bands that i used to hate as a kid that i love now Oh. And I get into the, the I get into the, uh, the not rut, but into the, um, the same songs over and over again, or the same bands over and over again, where I'll listen to it for like 10, you know, I'll listen to a song and then I'll, you know, YouTube, Google a, a video where, you know, it's a cover, you know, guitar cover or bass cover. And so I'm listening to different musicians play the song different ways because I love the song that much. And lately it's been, please don't tell anybody, this isn't going to be heard by anybody. But it's, uh. <laughs> Brian Adams run to you, which is just, cool. a, I love Brian. I used to hate Brian Adams. I used he's to hate got a great him. voice. Oh, he's got a very great voice. 
Uh, I used to think he was sappy and just too sentimental and too, you know, sweet uh, love songs and too, you know, sugary hooks. And but he is fantastic. He's great. And so it's run to you lately by by Brian Adams would be the song that I'm listening to. But his greatest hits also and John Cougar Mellencamp. Um, right now I'm listening to, which is another band, another guy I, I used to hate when I was a kid. Like all the songs are just overplayed on the radio, but yeah. just love them to pieces now. Uh, Huey Lewis in the News, another one. So those mm -hmm. three would be the big three that I'm listening to right now. That's awesome. Over and Heart and Soul by Huey Lewis in the News, Cherry Bomb by John Cougar Mellencamp, and Run to You by Brian Adams. Way to go. So cool. So I, I want to thank you again, Brandon, for taking this time to share your story. And uh, it's been so helpful, so inspiring. And I uh, wish you luck with your next venture. We'll keep in contact and we'll be following you along. And um, tell us once again where to get Abandon Brandon, your book and your website and where to follow you on social media. Uh, Abandon Brandon can be found on Amazon.com. Um, Abandon Brandon, Brandon J. McDermott. You can search either of those two terms and it'll pop up. Uh, you can find me on, uh, on my website, brandonjmcdermott.com, brandonjmcdermott.com, and on TikTok, Brandon J. McDermott. Okay, everybody, get ready for some awesome lunchbox reviews and check them out. He needs more followers. Let's get him to 2 million. And I just wanted to say thank you. Um, as a thank you, you're going to get my book, The Magical Everywhere. Awesome. that I wrote. You're going to love it. And um, I'll autograph it for your little baby, Catherine. My oldest daughter, Catherine, is 20 years old. And so it's, I, I told her I was interviewing you and she knows who you are. So she's in college in Texas. So she thought that was really cool. And I said, I'm going to give him the magical everywhere for his Catherine. So she thought that was and I hope you have as much, and I know you will, joy from your Catherine as we've had with ours. It's amazing. Definitely. So congratulations on all of your amazing and inspiring um, work and your the life you've created for yourself and how you've created community. And you're an amazing example of the power of the in, and unlimited potential of the individual and what you can do with the support of a community that you intentionally created. Um, for yourself. And um, I hope you have a ton of fun in your next venture. So thanks Thank everyone for joining us. And please check out uh, Brandon McDermott um, on his website, get his book and check him out on social, follow him on TikTok. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the IME Community Podcast, where self-love is your superpower. The content of this podcast represents the opinions of Dr. Carla Lester and is not intended as, and shall not be understood as, a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The opinions shared reflect the host and guest and do not represent an organization or medical group. Always seek the advice of your physician or therapist if you have concerns about your health. And please, like and subscribe to the IME Community Podcast. Share IME with your friends and go to imecommunity.com to join the member community. Don't forget to follow IME on social.